Welcome to episode 45. I'm your host, Alpha Mike and El Police Radio. What will we be talking about today? Well, the oath of office. You raise your right hand and you take it. But what are you taking? What does it mean? Is it relevant in today's society on the next El Police Radio? The oath of office that a law enforcement officer takes, what does it mean? Is it relevant in today's society? And do United States citizens even know about the oath of office that is taken? Now, of course, there is an oath of office for any governmental official. Sworn officials take this, and it's very sacred. One of the reasons they take it is because they're sworn to secrecy as a law enforcement official. You execute warrants, you make arrests, there is a lot of intelligence information, and it should not be shared with anybody that is not a sworn official. And the glue that holds all that together should be the oath of office. Maybe you've heard this before. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely and without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion and that I will, will and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter. So help me, God. Now, of course, in your jurisdiction, locals, uh, county, state, townships, wherever we are in, in America, it could be slightly different. It could also say that you pledge allegiance not only to the United States Constitution, but the state constitution and local constitutions. But it's basically all the same. In America, we have 765,000 law enforcement officers. 
100,000 part-timers. From those part-timers, 44,000 approximately have the power of arrest. Now, if you know that's one of our hot topics, I'd like to see that part-timer thing go a little higher. I would like to see it go a little higher. 765,000 law enforcement officers and only 100,000. We can go a little higher. And later on in the program, I'll explain again why that's one of El Police Radio's hot topics. We've got 434,870 correction officers in America. And as a result, each one of those, each one took, that's over a million, took an oath of office. And again, a lot of the oath of offices have different similarities. But again, in today's, I want things on a Monday. If not, I'll quit on a Tuesday. Does this mean what it, what it meant 100 years ago? Well, of course, if you're a patriot, if you are into the law enforcement cause, if that's all you ever wanted to do, if you come from a law enforcement family, of course it means a whole lot. But if you lived in mommy's basement, you had to part-time at the local supermarket, mommy and daddy got tired of you being in the basement, and... They put a pressure point on you to get a permanent job. There was none. Nobody would have you. And then you did the unthinkable. You went down and you applied for the local police department. And since you've got a clean record because you've been living in mommy's basement all this time, they hired you. Somehow you got through the academy. You passed your firearms qualification maybe with one eye open and the other one closed. You kept up the running as best you could. The defensive tactics, well, you could use improvement, but you still got by the skin of your teeth. And you passed the test. They go to pin the badge on you, and they tell you to raise your right hand. It's time to take the oath. Is that oath the same? as the person that comes from a long line of traditional law enforcement officers, a blue bloodline? Well, it should. But in today's millennial society, it might not. Remember, this is the I need self-gratification immediately, if not sooner. But we know that under all those numbers that I quoted, 765,000 law enforcement officers, 430. 4,870 correction officers. There are some that are liberal. But enough of that. We're going to pick up on all this once we finish our news countdown. One. Our first news story takes us to Ferguson, Missouri, and the Ferguson uh, Police Department. And because of the great work and dedication of its new chief that started, I believe, in 2016, Chief Moss, that came from the city of Miami, now a federal judge is saying, 
they've got some progress going. It looks good. The federal judge overseeing a reform agreement between the Ferguson, Missouri, and the United States Department of Justice said Tuesday that she has seen substantial progress in the efforts to eliminate bias in the St. Louis suburb law enforcement system. U.S. District Judge Catherine Perry heard a quarterly update on progress in Ferguson, where the fatal police shooting of Michael Brown was a catalytic for the Black Lives movement. All signs are pointing towards progress, Perry said. She said that the efforts so far is how the court system is supposed to work and the process is supposed to work. Now, the process is the Justice Department comes in, they do a complete review of your agency from policies to training to hiring practices to protocols on calls use of forces, and uh, they just dwell in, and they get in all in there, and they go in there with uh, experts. And it's, it's, it was during the Obama era where these uh, consent decrees took off and had their own life. And for the most part, it's become a standard practice of why agencies are getting good at it. They already know what they're going to attack. They already kind of understand what the remedy is. Because with this protocol, there's an underlying factor, and it is racial bias, arrests that should not have occurred, and excessive use of forces. Those are the three elements. So if you conquer the three elements, then this thing goes away. And then, of course, uh, the current administration, President Trump, he kind of signed uh, some type of order where it's, you know, whatever's pending is, is, is pending and it'll stay there. But uh, they got bigger fish to fry over at the Justice Department than been watching uh, the local police officers. Now, the civil rights section of the Department of Justice still exists, hasn't gone nowhere. There's a lot of things that need to be corrected. I know. Wadi, 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 blah, blah, blah. I got all that. But I'm glad, I'm happy to report Chief Moss that came from the city of Miami very proud of him. He is moving forward on the Ferguson, Missouri Police Department with some outstanding result, results. All right, number two. You can't never say a good story with everybody getting upset. Well, our second story takes us to the forgotten profession. And if you are a consistent listener, you know that the forgotten profession is that of corrections. Uh... Muslim correctional officer alleged discrimination in a lawsuit against North Carolina. A Muslim correctional officer has filed a lawsuit against North Carolina alleging he was discriminated against due to his race and religion after being told he must shave his beard. In the lawsuit filed on Monday, Keith Heyman, a correctional officer for the Paul Correctional Institute, said he was being targeted for retribution over his race, religion, and gender, through gender and for good cause. The News and Observer reported Heyman, who is African-American, also alleged that his supervisor called him a racial slur. An attorney representing Heyman, what a miracle, the lawyer, the lawyer, said that the North Carolina Department of Safety engaged in racist bigotry action and has set up 
Mr. Heyman to be fired for similar requests of religion, religious accommodations. The North Carolina prison system allowed its employees to grow short beards of an inch or less. Heyman said he was initially granted an exception uh, to grow his beard about two to three inches. So he, he can grow his a lot larger. Okay. The officer also requested a religious accommodation to keep his beard a few days before September 11, 2017. Oh, that's the date he started working for the prison. The prison didn't respond to his request. So Heyman said he took the silence as approval for his request and that he encountered no problems for eight months. February, after the state hired a new superintendent, Heyman said he filed the request again, which was denied without explanation, according to the complaint. Came to work with his beard. Heyman said he took a day off, but when he returned with his beard, he said that his new boss had a prison lieutenant start an investigation of him. How dare they? Heyman alleged he was... Uh, specifically told that his request was denied because of his religious faith. According to the complaint, Heyman was told that if he had not asked for religious accommodations, that he could have simply kept his beard without any issue and that him he'd be written up until they fired him for insubordination. The complaint went on to say that a co-worker at a prison has a beard and has not been told to shave. Hmm, Anorat. Polk is a selective enforcement in its facial hair grooming policy towards Mr. Heyman because of his faith. The complaint said specifically Mr. Heyman is aware at, at, at least another Polk employee with a beard at least if not longer than his. The other Polk employee is not being forced to shave. I, you can't say bad words on the radio, so I just say that this is a caca story. Religious accommodations, like if he's some type of uh, prison inmate. It's an employee. There was a standard before you got there. And then they said, well, you want a beard, okay, but you got to have a... Oh, and then the whining started, and the prior administration gave in. Okay, you don't have to have it an inch. You're special. And because you're special, I'll let you go two to three inches. No, no, I want more. I want more. Okay. I want this, I want that, I want your car, I want, your, I, want, I want a special spot in the cafeteria. It doesn't end. Why? Because they're being coached. By who? By the lawyer. The lawyer. All right, enough. Yeah, off to three. Three. And our last story takes us to a New York Columbia student, New York City Columbia student. This is uh, very regrettable. Talk about a fall from grace. Columbia student honored for anti-sexual violence work busted for child porn. Columbia University student who was once a Nobel Peace Prize nominee for his work to end sexual violence against kids was arrested in Manhattan on charges of child pornography and attempt, attempted child sex crime, authorities said. Joel Davis was uh, collared Tuesday following a federal investigation that started in May and ended Monday, according to federal court papers. 
During that time, Davis allegedly exchanged text messages with undercover federal agents, sending lewd images of infants and children and expressing his interest in having a sexual relationship with minors. He, uh, you know what? I, I can't continue reading this card, but you can read it on the show notes. But you know what? Another freaking hypocritic phony. And I don't need to see his political affiliation. But I'll have a good guess of what it might be. But here you have it. Nobel Peace Prize nominee. I'm a good boy. I go to Columbia. I believe in my professor and every uh, socialist idea that they come with. And then behind uh, closed doors in the closet, way in the back, he's exchanging pervert pictures with FBI agents. Freaking shame. All right, let's uh, get the bugle of woken up. Let's make sure he's not doing anything in the closet. And let's, let's continue with the meat and potatoes. Seven hundred and sixty-five thousand law enforcement officers, four hundred and thirty-four, eight hundred and seventy correctional officers in the United States, and countless millions retired. How many remember word by word the oath that they took? Exactly. Not too many. But what I can tell you is what the oath of office represents. Now, the oath of office for sworn personnel is totally different than the civilian world. The oath of office could be, as you might recall, when the president nominates a specific person for a cabinet position and they're confirmed and they get the job and they, and they do the ceremony, they give them the oath of office. Judges take off oath of offices. Constitutional officers that are elected and sworn in in towns and counties and states, they all take oath of offices. And, of course, federal employees, and we read what the oath of office for the federal government is. But law enforcement, not only they do, do they do the same thing, their oath of office goes a step above. It basically says... Because of your powers granted to you by the government to conduct arrest, search, and seizure, I, or the individual, is sworn to secrecy as well on a lot of law enforcement issues. And that sworn secrecy and, and a lot of the information that they dealt, they deal with on a daily basis must be transmitted to and from other sworn officials that have taken an oath as well. So the badge, the oath, and the ceremonial thing is actually a step above than the civilian world. A funny story that I can tell, when I was... A trainer, I was assigned to the Miami-Dade Public Safety Training Institute, and it's comprised of three elements, Miami-Dade Police, Miami-Dade Corrections, and the FBI. The, when it was initiated, it was initiated through the legislation of uh, then-Mayor 
Carlos Alvarez, which was also the police chief of Miami-Dade Police Department, retires from his service there, runs for mayor, and wins. And one of the things that he had on his campaign trail was to create an academy. Prior to that, people would go to the college, and they had a criminal justice system at Miami-Dade College, and there they trained countless of thousands and thousands and thousands of officers for many, many years. But the need to start your own academy grew under Carlos Alvarez, and a lot of other agencies wanted their own, but they just couldn't afford it. So Mayor Alvarez from Miami-Dade County at the time created this three-layered academy, Miami-Dade Police, Miami-Dade Corrections, and the FBI. The FBI, of course, was matching federal dollars. So if the county put in two or three or four or five million dollars into that economy or that training facility, the feds would match it. So the, the union started from there, and it started, of course, growing. Everybody was a sworn official at first. Everybody had their comfy little offices, and things were going well. Well, later on, uh, Mayor Carlos Alvarez was removed from office from the voters. They, they got a little upset from him uh, because he had risen taxes and so forth. And it was more of a political ploy to get rid of him, but uh, it worked. And as a result, uh, the, the turn of the tide began. And one of the agencies, which will remain nameless <clears throat> out of the three, started, uh, they had an actual commander, which was a civilian at the time. And all of a sudden, they started scratching their heads because the other two agencies were not going to talk to a civilian about internal training matters. That could be life-threatening. So they were punted and booted right out of their position, and a sworn official took over. It was mind-boggling how it was so difficult for a lot of liberals and criminal justice to understand the theory, to accept the theory. In fact, there might be many today that still won't even accept this story I'm telling. But it's true. You see, if you're not sworn, you're not getting in the exclusive club. That doesn't mean that law enforcement officers are doing anything wrong. No, just the opposite. They are sacred in their oath of office and the privileged information that they can share with the civilian world. What do they train at this institute, you might ask? Well, special tactics, weaponry, amongst other things. And if that were to get in the wrong hands, they would know every move that law enforcement was going to make in a tactical situation, wouldn't they? So the dotted lines had to be and had to remain under that oath of sworn secrecy. So many agencies out there are allowing the civilians to creep in and massacre their policies, 
massacre their training efforts, massacre their procedures to do basic law enforcement functions. They go inside the realm where law enforcement officials have taken an oath and without taking an oath, they are crippling these law enforcement agencies. Some have, as in California, have even suggested that the even mere use of force could be scrutinized and criminalized. Total contradiction to what the United States Supreme Court has decided on how an officer can execute force. By the way, future shows we're going to have in the 09 training segments of one hour, we're going to have plenty of shows on law enforcement force. And we're really going to get... That's going to be more than an hour, by the way. Let's just put that on the record now for all the kids that are out there listening. Make sure you show up with your pencils, your crayons, and your cardboard boxes so you can write everything down that Uncle Alpha says because knowledge is power. Now, the Los Angeles uh, or the California system has now entrenched in these efforts, and they're basically pulling the puppet strings. It's more and more evident. But how can officials, how can people that either never took an oath because their job title never entitled them to have an oath, or they their oath was totally different from that of a law enforcement officer, and the statute doesn't hold them in their state to that standard that the law enforcement officer has. How in the world are they now on a committee reciting policies and how things are going to be? All of a sudden, they've neutered, they've neutered the chief law enforcement officer to that jurisdiction. Commissioner Joe Martinez of Miami-Dade, great law enforcement supporter, and um, he has made public statements to the fact that he's running for sheriff of Miami-Dade. And uh, from, from where I'm sitting right now, I will be a firm supporter of uh, JM, as we like to call him, because no true or better Frank in law enforcement have than Joe Martinez. Joe used to have a saying, and he still does, no one likes to be neutered. And they are individuals, agency chiefs that are being neutered. And we've talked about it on other shows that the left wing, they will mentor, affirm, assist, create, push, whatever words you want to use, entry-level individuals in law enforcement, move them up the corporate ladder, as fast as possible to put them in a position to become a chief. They will also move hell and high water, all political circuits, to move them from one agency to another, from one state to another, and they have no boundaries of what they can do. I'm noticing it, and I'm seeing it more and more. Very freaking troubling to me. I don't care who gets pissed off. 
But this crap about running to Washington, D.C., and all of a sudden you're a chief of police and you got all these personal opinions about the Second Amendment, keep it to yourself, buddy. I've, last time I remember, and I'll take this debate with anybody, last time I remember law enforcement's role was to enforce laws. If you want to push and advocate for a law, take the uniform off and the badge off and go up there as Mr. or Mrs. Joe Citizen or Josephine Citizen and lobby. But don't do it on my dime, my tax dime, because you're not on my page. You're on another page. So whoever gets pissed off, well, too bad you get over it. But I don't agree with it. I agree that the Second Amendment was made by the founders of this country to regulate a well-regulated militia. And there's a lot of um, legal definitions to what that is. Jeff Scalia told us what it is before he died. Well-regulated militia, it means it's controlled. So the states now think they can do whatever they want. That's not exactly what was in the founders' mind. Remember, the well-regulated militia, the militia was being run by George Washington. And there was tyranny, and the tyranny was coming from Britain. That's what their mindset was. In law, you want to know what the mindset was of the creator of the law. And we had a show on that, and I'll put it on the show notes uh, regarding Judge Scalia and a book that he wrote. But basically, you want to know what their mindset was. Well, that was their mindset. Well, there's tyranny today, and it's in the form of a thug with a gun trying to kill you. Okay? It doesn't have to be a foreign entity. It could be a domestic one that has got a mind of a freaking uh, a pea, and all of a sudden at 12 o'clock in the afternoon while you're in the convenience store pulling out a gun, trying to hold his pants up, talking about give me all you got. Now I got to lay down like a victim because you want to take my gun? You want to take my gun? How many of you have seen, and I'm going to get back on subject, okay? You in the back. I'm getting back on subject on the oath of office. I'll be rolling your eyes. You're starting to identify who you are, okay? The, the socialist in the room is coming out. Stop acting like Bernie. Behave yourself. We're going to get back on subject in a minute. But how many of you guys saw the angry Second Amendment gun owner that happened to be African-American, and he was talking to his local city council, and he says, every time something happens, why do you want to take my gun? We're going to post that video on, on the show notes on El Police Radio on this episode 45 for you to see. It. And he's right. Why do you want to piss on my parade? I'll tell you why. Because the liberals have one freaking agenda. It's not the dreamers. It's not immigration. It's not even the Second Amendment. They don't even give a rat's ass about a gun. Guess what their one agenda is? Are you ready? You're in the back. You're paying attention? Okay. Lean forward so you can hear it good. Kids, pencils at the ready. Cardboard boxes in line. Here we go. Ready? Control. I'll repeat it in case you missed it. The liberal agenda is about control. Control of your life. Control of the money that you earn. 
control of what you might have in your possession. Control on what you say. Remember the freedom doctrine? Okay? So if I said this about a liberal, they actually had attempted to place a law that there would have to be a person on the airway with me to talk about the liberal position. Are you kidding? You don't want to hear me? Turn it off. The hell I care. That's your business. But I'm going to keep on spitting it out, spitting it out like, like um, you're supposed to do, okay? So the, the bottom line here is the socialist, liberal, Bolshevik, communist in this country that masquerade like Democratic Party members, they want control, control of everything that you have. And the more longer it takes you as the American citizen to realize that you're being taken for everything that you have, hopefully it's not too long. And all of a sudden you start going through your drawer looking for, where, where, where's the gun I brought? Oh, 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 where's this? Or where's that? Well, it's gone. They took it. You don't have it any longer. Okay? Welcome to socialism. Welcome to... Listen, I always tell everybody, if you want to know how socialism works, ask a Cuban or Venezuelan or Chinese or somebody from North Korea. They've got more than enough stories to share with you. But I saw an interesting article that I'm going to share also on the show notes here on episode 45. Sweden, which is socialist in nature, and the, and the AK Dems here, they like to point to Sweden on everything, and they go, well, it works for the Swedish. It can work for us. Needless to say, the Sweden is a little country you know, you can never compare it to the size of this country, 310 million inhabitants, but they do because they're eggheads. And now the Swedes are questioning their socialist government. Enough's enough with this open border, do what you want. Listen, before we cut on to the next segment, because I'm going to wrap it up here, would you unlock your door Open your front door and your windows wide open, back screening door as well, and allow anybody that's walking in the street, free transit, right through your front door, your living room, out the other door. Jeez, all that silence. You wouldn't. But this is what these maniacs are saying. No wall, no nothing, just let everybody walk in. They're lunatics. Do you understand? Lunatics. You would not do it in your own home, but you got the Cole Jones to actually advocate what they're saying? Come on, folks. Let's pay attention. Let's keep our eye on the ball. Oath of office. Now, there's an interesting article that uh, I will also post on the show notes that um, gives a very, very good uh, written article on the, uh, it's the uh, International Association of Chiefs of Police. And it basically talks about the oath of office. The oath of honor provides the law enforcement professional with a conscience, powerful, and universal process by which officers can affirm and periodically reaffirm their ethical 
values, and beliefs. This conscious oath summarizes police values in a simple statement, leading itself to continuous and convenient application in both public and professional settings. It is easily institutionalized, understood, and remembered. The following law enforcement oath of honor is recommended by the International Association of Chiefs of Police, a symbolic statement of commitment to ethical behavior. And uh, again, it's in English and Spanish and Portuguese, French, and all that other stuff. And I will post it, but I like how they worded about the oath, and they basically say it's a conscience effort. In other words, you actually know that you're swearing an allegiance to something. Conscience. And when we get into the conversation, we're going to talk about exactly that. Conscience and where it comes from. It's biblical. God provided all of us with a conscience. You can reflect back and say you were committed to something and you will be judged and guilt by your conscience if you break that allegiance. So I like the way they worded that. The oath of honor provides a law enforcement professional with a conscience, powerful and universal process by which officers can affirm and periodically reaffirm their ethical values and beliefs. So I like that, conscience. So we will post that, and it's a very good article. I also uh, found one uh, at uh, 2015, and uh, it's not that long. I'm going to go ahead and take a stab at it. Law enforcement swears an oath and upholds the Constitution. It is important that law enforcement follow the law. While that seems to be an unremarkable statement, it is surprising how often that is not the case, and not just with trivial minor matters, but often with significant issues that impact thousands of cases. And I will post that to you on lpoliceradio.com. You can continue Reading it. Very good article. It talks about more in debt what the oath of office that a law enforcement officer takes. The reason I came up with this, well, I actually saw a graduation online the other day and I saw all the young kids, and I call them kids, you know, 21, 22, all enthusiastic about getting into their career. I was there once and they were raising their hand for the first time and they were giving the oath of office. And I remembered mine. You know, ever since I was a kid, and I'll post a picture of me as a kid, um, I always wanted to, to be law enforcement. Um, I, w I would act out at home, you know. I had to have the sheriff's badge or I had to have the military uniform. I had to have the rifle. That drove my parents crazy. And I did. But what it meant to me, it's something that it, it meant to me. And no matter the role that I had, I engulfed myself in the profession. I learned as much as I could, and I fulfilled my obligation to the best of my ability. 
when I reached my 27th year, I said, that was it. I'm done. I remember people asking me, why are you leaving? And my response was, because I can. What does that mean? What did that mean then? Well, it meant after 27 years, an impeccable record with no write-ups or nothing uh, bad in my file and an awful lot of commendations and a whole lot of 26 years of outstanding evaluations, I was done. I fulfilled my obligation. I took that oath as an obligation. And at that time, in that juncture in my life, for various reasons in my life, and one of them was an injury to my left knee, I didn't feel that I can give 110% anymore. And I wasn't going to let down the unit by hobbling around. Oh, I could have faked it like many of them did behind some desk for three years. Oh, I could have faked it like they all do. But my conscience wouldn't let me. Now, folks, it's time for the 09 training tip. Firearms is, without a doubt, one of the most important tools that a law enforcement officer needs. But it also, what the law enforcement officer needs, is advanced training. The academy standard, the standard that the state requires of you, and what you do every year for qualification purposes is a minimal standard. Let me repeat that again. The standard that you passed with, the standard that you pass with every year, is a minimal standard. Don't stay in the minimal standard. Don't continue to shoot paper targets that don't move and that don't shoot back. Become versatile in your training. Remember that shooting is a proficiency skill. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. You have to continue studying the art of the firearm. Why? Because, is it because you're, you love the Second Amendment? No. That has not, we're not talking about political aspirations here. It's because your life and the life of others depend on it. That weapon that's in your holster is to preserve life, not to take life. Therefore, you have to do everything in your ability to learn the fundamentals. Now, the fundamentals as we know them, they have been around for a very, very long time. Recently, there's been a group of Special Forces veterans that are advocating, not necessarily against it, that's not what they're advocating, but they're saying in today's society there should be a different type of firearms training. And I'm down with the okie dokie. 
So here on 09 training tip, when we do resume and we start after September, once a month, we will have an 09 training hour. I'm going to cover a lot of issues on firearms. And then we're going to, of course, play that into YouTube as well. But I'm, I'm really motivated about this. Why? Because not only did I study it, I tested it, and I know it works. And I'm not going against the grind, and I'm not going against what traditional training is. It's a minimum. Now it's time to bring you up, up further, push yourself. How can you actually sit there, listen to me, and say, well, it was good enough 20 years ago and it's good enough today. Then you haven't grown. You're a midget in law enforcement. In order for it to grow, you have to grow too. And the only way you can do that is through practice, 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 and of course, thinking out of the box. Now, time to get on the Indian. It's off to the conversation. And what are we going to talk about? The conscience. Now what everybody's thinking, he called it an Indian motorcycle. It's not a Harley. No, Harley said they're out of business or they can't afford to do business or they're losing $100 million, whatever they said. So now it's an Indian. Sorry. <clears throat> the conscience. We know the story in the beginning, and it's in Genesis, where Abel and Cain have a disagreement where one kills the other. As a result, the survivor, he's now plagued. He runs, he hides. He has nowhere to go, of course, because God's looking for him. And there's a confrontation with God. You see, God had built in every man, and up to then they did not know that they had something called the conscience. So Cain kills Abel, and Cain now is running, hiding, but something's bugging him. Why is he hiding? What is he afraid of? He knows he had done wrong, and he knew that what he had done wrong was to the point that it bothered him, and it didn't let him continue to live. We all have a conscience to know the difference between right and wrong. Conscience is a self-internal spirit that the Lord has given us that allows us to judge what we have done, what we have said. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. You immediately recognize it and you are judged by your conscience. Now, once you're judged by that conscience, it's time to make good on the judgment. God has made us into such perfect individuals. I often think about some of us 
as my grandmother now just recently celebrated in April her 100th birthday. Have you ever seen a car that's 100 years old still running? It's mechanical. It was engineered by man. But they don't last that long. Or a light bulb. Or anything. Even a gun. Pretty simple mechanics, but they don't last 100 years. Or 60 or 70 or 80 they kind of break down the mechanism, the elements, the components. They break down. Eventually, we're going to break down. But not because God did not make us in perfection, but because we live in sin. And as a result of our sinful lives, we all must fade away. As the grass withers away, so will we. Some of us will live an internal glory with the Lord. Some, unfortunately, will have to go to damnation. But you can always count on this. Whatever direction you're going, whether it's up or down, your conscience will tell you all about it during the trip. What's up next? Well, we're on 45. Before I get to what's up next, I do want to make a mention on a correction of uh, episode 44, which is uh, in the ghetto. I refer to the DEA agent as Mark Levine when he is Michael Levine. And I truly apologize. I put that in the show notes. You know, actually, when I was saying the name Mark Levine, I actually kept on second-guessing myself. And I wanted to stop, and I kept on going. See how that conscious thing works? And uh, when I go through the show notes, I have to write them out now. I immediately, when I wrote out Mark, I said, his name's not Mark, it's Michael. Mark Levine is the conservative uh, radio host, and I mixed up the two. So my apologies, and I've added that to the um, show notes for number 44, but episode 44, but on 43, I wanted to go ahead and, and make that public known as well. We are going to go into one of the most controversial things that we can talk about. August 1st, episode number 46, accommodating transgenders. Accommodating transgenders. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. Wow, this is going to be a great show. I guess uh, they'll be picking on the forgotten profession, corrections. And that's part of it. Yeah, they're going to have to deal with a lot of these unanswered questions when it comes to transgenders that might be housed in your facility anytime soon. But how about Bob that currently works in your agency? Hasn't been on for very long. He's about to finish his probation. But Bob has been on his ninth and 10th and 11th month. I've started to notice a little, a little, I don't know what you would call it. I guess a little feminine side to Bob. And then it happens. 12th month couple days into it, Bob comes in 
and he's no longer Bob. He's Bobette. And he wants to be treated as a transgender officer. Are they out there? Yeah. So an Article 1 in California, they're out there. Coming to a theater near you real soon, folks. How come these things never happened 30, 40, 50 years ago, 20 years ago? Why is it happening now? I'll tell you. It's because of the superhero. Look. It's, he, can, he can leap to our buildings in a single bound. Who is he? Is it, is, it, is it the S guy? No, it's not. Is it the other S guy? No, it's not. It's the L guy. Who's the L guy? It's lawyer man. Lawyer man can make you do things you don't want to do. Yep, that's the truth. So let's start recapping what we discussed and what we learned. Always, we have to do a recap to understand that you just didn't listen to me go on and on and on and babble all day and babble for an hour here that you learned something. So let's take it from the top. We learned that the oath of office is a conscious effort to know that there's a level of expectation on you placed by the citizens of your country, of your state, and of your local community. That that conscious effort is your ethos. It carries you through your day. It carries you through your career. And it carries you through your conduct. Because of that oath, you do what you are to do correctly. Because of that oath, other people admire you and look up to you. Because of that oath, we're all a lot safer. Yep, we sure are. Before we sign off, I want to remind all the listeners, you can plug into lpoliceradio.com, scroll all the way down, social media icons will pop up, you can network with us, and also check out the front page, the Raider Cop Nation, and our tactical considerations. It has been my honor to come out on this show and discuss with you what the oath of office is for a law enforcement official. Because we are safer as a nation with it than we are without it. I thank you for listening. I bless you. I bless the United States of America. Long live the Republic.
LABLEASHRADIO.COM